Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we have come now at this moment to hear from you. So I pray, oh God, that you would settle us in, uh, give us ears to hear and spirits to receive and perceive. Lord, we thank you for all that you are and all that you have done, especially uh, those of us of uh, African descent. We thank you for this opportunity in this country to celebrate our heritage, our history, the things that uh, you have done, we have seen you do in and through our people. And now, God, I pray that that same God that our ancestors called on, we call on you now to stand in our body and think with our mind and speak with our tongue. Allow us to hear truth that will transform us, that will encourage us, that will inform us in walking in the things of God, uh, that we might serve our purpose and our destiny for you here in this day and in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, join me in Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah chapter 38, beginning, and we jump into the story in verse 6. Uh, I've kind of started this new tradition that at, in Black History Month, I want to make sure that I dedicate some time uh, to show to us, to prove to us, to teach to us that not only are we in the Bible, but we are in the will of God for a reason. Uh, and I want to do that through a, a very small character uh, in a very big time in Israel's history. In Jeremiah chapter 38, beginning at verse 6, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You should see it right here. Watch what the Bible says. So the officials, these were the noblemen, these were the power brokers. The officials took Jeremiah from his cell. He was in jail for preaching the truth about what God was going to do through the Babylonians who were surrounding and besieging the city. Uh, and the, the noblemen, the officials, they wanted people to think that they were going to defeat this army. But God had already said through Jeremiah, uh, I'm taking you down. Uh, and so they didn't like Jeremiah's message and they had thrown him in jail. But then they take him from his cell, verse 6 says, and lowered him by ropes into an empty cistern in the prison yard. It belonged to Malchijah, a member of the royal family. There was no water in the cistern, but there was a thick layer of mud at the bottom. And as they lowered Jeremiah into it, he sank down into it. But Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, an important court official, heard that Jeremiah was in the cistern. At that time, the king was holding court at the Benjamin gate. So Ebedmelech rushed from the palace to speak with him. My lord, the king, he says, these men have done a very evil thing in putting Jeremiah the prophet into the cistern. He will soon die of hunger for almost all the bread in the city is gone. So the king told Ebedmelech, take 30 of my men with you and pull Jeremiah out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebedmelech took the men with him and went to a room in the palace beneath the treasury where he found some old rags and discarded clothing. He carried these to the cistern and lowered them to Jeremiah on a rope. Ebedmelech called down to Jeremiah, put these rags under your armpits to protect you from the ropes. Then when Jeremiah was ready, they pulled him out. So Jeremiah was returned to the courtyard of the guard, the palace prison, where he remained. I want to talk about a black preservative, a black preservative. It'll make sense in a minute. We find ourselves in the story in Jerusalem. It is, it's a besieged city. It's wavering on defeat. They are literally days from, from the walls being broken through and the Babylonian army running in, rushing in and taking over the city. 
At that time, the guy named Zedekiah is the king. He's the last king of Judah, uh, the last one in that Davidic line. But he was not only disobedient, but he was wishy-washy. He was weak-willed. He would uh, side with Jeremiah one minute and then side with the nobleman at another instance. Matter of fact, at the beginning of this story, uh, the noblemen have, have already told him that they want to throw Jeremiah, they want to kill him. And Zedekiah says, hey, I can't stop you. You have more power than me. And so that's how Jeremiah finds himself in this system because Zedekiah didn't have the guts to be the king and to stand up and to do the thing that he knew was right. Then you have in this story these Jewish noblemen who are caught up in palace intrigue and in politics and in their own power. And in these last days before the kingdom crumbles, they're still playing these games, vying for the, the few crumbs of money and power that might be left before it all comes crashing down. Then in the middle of all of that, you have Jeremiah, the persecuted prophet, who seeks to both call the, pity, the city to repentance and, and warn uh, Zedekiah and the people of their impending judgment by God at the hands of this Babylonian army, which was the superpower at the time. But then into this story steps a black man by the name of Ebedmelech. Uh, now there's no mention anywhere in the Bible before this or in the story of any prior relationship he may have had with Jeremiah or why it was that he sympathized with the prophet. Uh, he's simply identified as Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, the court official. Uh, he's an individual who breaks out of the, in the middle of the crowd and goes against the grain to act in a gracious way that is attuned to the will of God. Uh, and it's through him and his personal appeal to the king for the life of Jeremiah that Jeremiah is lifted up out of the cistern and Jeremiah's rescue comes from this unexpected source of this guy. I'm going to call him E.M. Now, the interesting thing is I see E.M. as both a, an indicator of how God can use those who are tuned to the will of God to impact the work of God. But I also see E.M. as a type of the black church in America that the, the same destiny and purpose that the black church has served and is serving even now, I see that in EM. Because it, EM's actions preserve the work of God and the word of God in the midst of a culture that has moved away from the Lord. Jeremiah at that time, his, his ministry as a prophet, he represents the work of God in the world. He represents what God is going to do, what God wants to do, what the will of God is. And, and it, it's in danger. It's in jeopardy. It's thrown into a cistern. It's, it's put in a place where it can die a slow death. And as God's prophet, he, his preaching represents the word of God being given to the people and to the nation at that time. And it's only because of the work of EM that the work of God can continue and the word of God is not stuffed, snuffed out. Because uh, you got to recognize what EM represents. Jesus enjoins us to be salt and light. He says in Matthew 5 and 13, you are the salt of the earth. Well, why does Jesus call us the salt of the earth? Because salt particularly preserves, it's, it serves as a chemical substance that protects against decay and decomposition and corruption. Uh, Jesus said, I've put you into the world for a purpose. He says in Mark 9 and 50 that salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? He says then to believers, you must have the qualities of salt 
among yourselves. He says to us, we are to be the preservative. And when you look at the history of black people who served, who found the Lord and served the Lord, even today, you have to see that our role, our destiny, the, one of the reasons behind why God allowed such an evil as the transatlantic slave trade and the, the atrocities of slavery is because he was working to get a preservative, a black preservative that he could place in a country that as it worked toward decay, that there would be some, there would be a preservative that would be there to preserve the work and the word of God. Listen, I, I declare to you that one woke believer aligned with God's heart is a preservative. Uh, EM gives us a picture of a woke believer aligned with the will of God serving as a preservative in the midst of spiritual and cultural decay. He shows us that even those of us who are descendants of the African diaspora, we can act as preservers of God's kingdom agenda on our job, in our families, certainly in our country, certainly through uh, our church and what we do in the world. Because, listen, when we are aligned with God's heart and God's will, we will preserve the work of God despite preconceptions. Watch this. Other people saw EM a certain way. He, they saw him as a servant, simply as a servant. Matter of fact, his name, Ebed-Melech, means a servant or a slave of the king. He was simply listed as a court official. His, that may even be his official title. We're, we're not sure. The, the Bible doesn't seem to indicate, but he may have been the personal servant to the king. But other people just saw him as a servant. He didn't even have a real name. Nobody else in the Bible carries the name Ebed-Melech. It, it's kind of, it sounds kind of like a name just given to somebody when you couldn't pronounce their real name. Uh, he was identified as an Ethiopian. He, he was not even necessarily a Jewish person. Uh, he was identified by his skin color. The Bible says that he is an Ethiopian, which in biblical terms is usually a, the designation given for somebody who is black. Somebody who was a person of color, a descendant uh, called a Cushite in the, in the um, King James Version of the Bible. Uh, he is this servant without a real name, but we know he's black. Uh, he, he's not even a Jew. He's identified as somebody who was an Ethiopian. We don't know whether he was snatched as a slave or whether there was some kind of exchange and even as a free person, but his job was to serve as the king. Uh, th that's how other people saw him. They discounted him. They had their preconceptions about who he was based upon his position, based upon his skin color, based upon him not being a Jew. And yet God had him in place to preserve the work of God. If it had not been for EM stepping in at that time, Jeremiah would have died. The work of God would have come to an end. But it was EM who served as a preservative. Not only that, but when you look at the story, it's EM who preserves the work of God despite all the political tomfoolery and machinations that are going on. God used EM specifically, had him set up at that time to work to preserve the work of God. Watch how God used him. God used his perspective. See, it was only him as a foreigner, as this black person in this, in this other cultural setting where he recognized injustice when he saw it. Everybody else thought it was cool to put Jeremiah in the cistern, but it was EM who said, that, that's not right. That, that's not how you treat people. 
Uh, it, it was EM and his trust in God to use him and to use his perspective. He saw things differently than the people, watch this, who claimed the same God. Yet he saw it differently and God used that to preserve the work of God. God used his influence. Uh, he, he was a personal servant to the king. He certainly appears to be personally acquainted with the king. He knows him. And so he uses this position. He uses uh, the juice that he has with the king to, to boldly stand up and ask for the king to reverse the punishment that these noblemen had thrown onto Jeremiah by throwing him into the cistern. And it was him being in place at the right time. The spook who sat by the door. It was him that God used to preserve the work of the kingdom of God. God even used his knowledge of the, of the system. He, he, he knew the palace. As a, as a king's servant, he knew where the things were. So when it was time to go rescue, he knew where the rags were and where the clothing scraps were. And he goes and he works within the system to undermine the system. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying. Uh, God used his compassion. It's EM who was, who's only, who's the only one focused on the fact that Jeremiah needed to be kept alive. He felt compassion because of his different perspective. And God used that compassion to preserve the work of God and to have Jeremiah rescued. But now, as, as the Bible is telling the story of the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah in its last days, the Bible then skips forward in the action. Uh, it moves on from chapter 8 to verse 39 and shows us a different perspective of the same stuff that's happening. Zedekiah and his noblemen cronies, they try to escape Jerusalem as the enemy is breaching the walls, uh, but they're captured by the enemy. They try to save themselves and leave the people, but they are captured. The Babylonian army uh, breaches the walls. They're now inside the city. They begin plundering the city. They begin slaughtering citizens. They begin burning buildings, stealing valuables. But God in the midst of that has a final message for Jeremiah, who is still imprisoned in the palace. Skip forward to Jeremiah 39, verses 15 through 18. The Lord had given the following message to Jeremiah while he was still in prison. This is what the message was. Say to Abed-Melech the Ethiopian, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, I will do to the city everything I've threatened. I will send disaster, not prosperity. You will see its destruction but I will rescue you from those you fear so much. Because you, EM, you trusted me, I will give you your life as a reward. I will rescue you, and God says, I will keep you safe. I, the Lord, have spoken. Watch this. EM risks his life to save Jeremiah and to speak up on Jeremiah and God's behalf. And even as the city is about to fall and about to be destroyed, watch this. God preserves the worker of God while judging the power brokers. God rewards EM for his stance, for his faith, for his risk, for using his, his understanding and, and working against those preconceptions and working against the political machinations. God says, I, because you put your trust in me, I will save you. I will protect you, first of all from the haters. He says those, those same noblemen, your personal enemies, the ones who were mad at you for undermining them and going behind their backs. He says, I'm not going to let you be handed over to the people who are trying to intimidate you and fear you and fire you just because of your stance. He says that I'm going to, I'm going to protect you from them. But then he says, 
not only that, but even as the city falls, even as the Babylonian army comes in, he says, I will save you. He says, I will surely see to your escape. While Zedekiah tries to save himself, God says, I personally will save you, Ebed-Melech. I, because you trusted in me, I will make sure that you're not going to suffer the fate of the city. And his life was saved because he risked his life for the work of God. Listen, uh, it's, it's tough being a preservative. But every now and again, this story shows that God will use a black preservative in the middle of, of cultural decay, in the middle of, of chaos. God says, I'm looking for somebody who will be willing to risk their lives to save the work and the word of God. And whether you know it or not, when you look at church history, when you look at American history, it's been the black church who has been serving as a preservative of God's word and God's work in the earth. Because we have a different perspective, because we have been positioned by God, because we are overlooked, because people judge us, they don't expect that the voice of God is gonna come through those who will serve as a preservative. But Jesus says, you are salt. Jesus says, you need to have the qualities of salt living among you. And so Refuge, my brothers and my sisters, I say to us, even those of us who are of African descent, it's time for us to take on what it means to be God's preservative work in the world. All right? Now listen, can I pray? Father, we thank you so much for the story of Ebed-Melech. Thank you for this black man that you used uh, to save not only Jeremiah's life, but even larger to preserve the work of God and the word of God, even in the midst of a culture that was against you. And God, you want to do it again. You want to do it still through some other folks who would be willing to work against preconceptions, to work against the, the political games that people are playing. And God, we trust you to use us. And God, would you do for us what you did for Ebed-Melech? Would you even save us from the fate, from the consequences uh, that others have brought on because of their actions? Uh, as we trust you, we trust you to save and to protect and to preserve us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, listen, I, I always uh, make sure that uh, we know and we remember that we have a spiritual heritage to be proud of. But even in the midst of being proud, even in the midst of that celebration, we have to remember that the, the purpose, the destiny that, we, that we've been called to is to preserve, to continue on the work of God. And, and so that's why even it's important that we observe communion. Because when we, uh, when we obey, when we obey that command, we're actually preserving the work of the Lord, the vibe even of the Lord's work in the earth. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 11, 23. He says, I'm simply passing on to you what I received. I'm giving to you the ability to carry on and to preserve this thing that Jesus started. He says, because every time you do this, uh, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. You're preserving the, the, the celebration, the, the memory, the, the, the remembrances of what Jesus did for those uh, who would be willing to put their faith and their trust in him. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to gather your receptacles or, or whatever, whatever you have there. Uh, listen, somebody uh, laughed at me because a couple of months ago I didn't have ju grape juice, but I had some other kind of juice. I had fruit punch or something, uh, and they could tell by the color of it. It's not necessarily about having the right stuff. It's about having the right heart and observing the work of the Lord. 
All right. So as you gather your your, your family, as you gather your, those who are with you, uh, we want to take time to recognize what Jesus has done for us and to remember it, to celebrate it, and to observe it so that we can preserve the work of God. So as you have your, uh, your receptacles and your items there, I'm going to simply pray over them. Uh, and as I do that and after I do that, I want all of us to prepare our hearts and our minds. Uh, the Bible says that we ought to come to this moment recognizing the, the solemnity, the solemnness of it, that we have to recognize that it's, it's not just a happy celebration. It's also remembering what it cost Jesus to save us. And so as you gather your items, let's, let's pray over them now. Father, we thank you now for this little bit of wafer, this little bit of juice. Uh, it doesn't seem like much, uh, but at the time uh, when they put you on that cross, it didn't seem like much to them, but it changed everything. And so Lord, I pray that uh, as we enter into this time of Holy Communion, uh, we ask and we recognize uh, that you would help us to know and to remember and to live in the fact of what it cost you to save us. So Lord, we ask that you would take this little wafer uh, represents your body broken for us. God, would you bless it? Would you sanctify it? We ask that you would take this little bit of juice representing your blood spilled, shed, beaten out of you, nailed out of you, uh, that you might put life into us. God bless this juice. Thank you for what you were willing to pay to make us right. So now, God, I pray that as we remember, as we recognize, as we celebrate, uh, make us to be in line and attuned with your heart so that your work and your word would be preserved through us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Let's take and eat together. The Bible says in the same manner, Jesus took the cup. He blessed it. He took a sip before he passed it to them. He says, this represents my body, my blood, which is shed for the remission, for the taking away, for the removal of your sins. Jesus's blood has washed away all of our sins, past, present, and future. Let's take and drink together. Now Paul says when we preserve this, this act of, of worship and this act of remembering, he says that the power of God is present to heal, not only heal sin, but even heal physical diseases and ailments. And so I declare uh, as, a, as a point of contact, if there's someone in your family or if you personally uh, have issues in your body and, and you need healing, whether it's an addiction to cigarettes, whether it's an addiction to sugar, whether it's uh, blood sugar out of control, whether it's uh, heart issues, uh, blood pressure issues, gout, uh, chronic pain, whatever those things are, stretch your hands toward your screen as a point of contact and let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, you declared that on the, by the stripes laid upon Jesus' body, we would be healed. And so, Lord, we trust what Jesus did on the cross and what you have promised through our faithful uh, preserving of, 
of obedience in, in honoring you and your sacrifice and your suffering through Holy Communion. We declare that there is healing that is loosed and released through the body of Christ, through those who faithfully trust you. And so right now, God, we declare healing. We declare wholeness. We pray for a reversal of those things that are in our bodies that are operating against the way that you uh, not only made us, but you command us to walk in health and in prosperity. And so I declare it now, healing, wholeness, and togetherness for all of those who trust you. Let it be done and so in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody ought to give God praise. Somebody ought to get ready to grab the phone and make an appointment for a second opinion. Somebody needs to say, let them run the test again. I bet you won't find what you found the first time. We declare healing and wholeness for Samantha Jacobs. We declare healing and wholeness for Deacon Jamon Ellaby. We declare healing and wholeness for the entire group of believers connected to and, and uh, related to the body of Christ at the Refuge Church. Amen. Let it be so. Let it be done in Jesus' name.